0: And without further ado, here is another amazing entrepreneurial story on the dot com magazine entrepreneur spotlight series.
1: Hello, everybody, Andy. Jacob here with the Com magazine, Entrepreneur Spotlight series, and I have a very important show today. You know, when we look at the world and we look at what's going on in the world today, of course, you know by watching the show, we love to interview entrepreneurs, founders, CEOs of great companies. And one thing that's happening in the world that many companies are now starting to help so many people with is drug addiction and. You can't turn on the television. You can't go to a dinner party. You can't go really anywhere without people talking about what's going on with people getting addicted to drugs. And this is such a challenging thing for so many people that we wanted to bring on a real worldwide leading expert on the show. His name is Mr. Michael Breyer, and he is the CEO of Recovery Connection. And he has a great business, a great company. And of course, you know, he helps assist and he helps clients that are really suffering from this terrible affliction. And he really uses, and his team really uses the latest advances in medication assisted treatments. And they really think about the person who they're treating and they've had such great success. I'm so excited to have them on the show to talk about this. We're going to try and give back and learn a little bit more about addiction and recovery by asking Michael some very important questions. But before we get started, Michael, welcome to the dot-com magazine Entrepreneur Spotlight Series today. Thank you, Andy. Michael, so happy to have you on the show. You know, you assist each one of your clients really to abstain from illicit substances. I mean, you really not only improve their physical health, but their mental health as well. And You really help them reintegrate themselves as a productive member in the community. But before we get started, let's pull the lens back to 30,000 feet, of course, like we always do. Tell us about Recovery Connection, and then we'll get into it. So Recovery Connection is a
0: medical group providing outpatient services, both in medication and counseling for people who are afflicted with either drug and or alcohol addiction problems. Uh, We have offices regionally in the New England area and we're treating people on a daily basis to try to help them overcome their affliction and to help them to on their path to recovery.
1: Yeah, Michael, it's so important. It's such an interesting subject and so many people have really what I would call spiraled out of control in the past few years, maybe more than ever. Have you seen this problem becoming more and more apparent, more and more problematic in the United States in the last couple of years? I don't think it's even just the United
0: States. It's actually a worldwide problem. And I think if it wasn't for COVID, people would talk about it a lot more. But due to the pandemic of COVID killing I don't know, are we over a million? I mean, they used to put it on TV to know how many people died in a year. I have no idea right now, but number two would actually be overdose deaths would be the number two killer uh, of people in the United States. Last year we lost 109,000 people, which is an all time record. And unfortunately it's one of those curves Almost like they talk about a hockey stick when you're scaling your business. It's just keeps going up and up and up and up. And unfortunately, it hasn't leveled off at this point. And I, I fear that just because of COVID, as people are now coming out of their house a little bit more and eventually are going to be acclimating themselves back into their normal ways of going... I think it's going to get to be a problem that's going to be even more noticeable, not less.
1: Yeah, it's so interesting, Michael. You know, when we think about it, you know, drug addiction, like you say, doesn't discriminate. I mean, it could be a stalker mom, a busy executive, a recovering surgical patient, you know, a a teacher, a, a high school student. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And everybody in every family knows someone or knows another family that's really been impacted by some type of addiction. Of course, one thing that really stands out about what you do, Michael, is you really treat each and every patient with dignity, compassion, and respect. How important is that to the actual recovery and people following the the program that you put them on at the company? Oh, I think it's... It's really the only thing in my book that's
0: number one and number two and number three. So, like, they talk about real estate. They say location, location, location. Well, I would say in this substance use disorder business, it's client care, client care, client care, because inevitably, you can tell somebody anything that's supposedly going to help them. and if you just say, hey, by the way, take this magic pill and all of a sudden you'll be cured and you can walk out the door, that is not how this works, unfortunately. Uh, People need to know that they have a support system. And too often in this industry, there's a uh, stigma out there that people don't get treated with respect and compassion and empathy. And a lot of people have been burned in bad circumstances and don't want to actually seek treatment because they've been treated so poorly in the past. And I tell my staff on day one and day one million, which is if you don't take care of the clients, then there's nothing, anything else that you're doing here is irrelevant because they're not going to listen to you because they're not going to respect you back because you don't respect them.
1: I love it. It's such an important lesson for our entrepreneurs. And of course, we need to respect all of our clients, no matter what space you're in. And I think one thing that, you know, comes across our desk when we look at what you're doing, Michael, at Recovery Connection is, you know, there's no preaching, there's no judging, there's no punishment. I mean, what types of people, what what are the problems? What are the addictions that you're treating right now? I mean, obviously, we've got this fentanyl problem, you know, there's heroin, there's crack. I mean, there's, marijuana, there's alcohol. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. But is there an area where you and your group really have found to be, you know, found it that your methodology is most successful? No, I think the methodology is successful in in all different
0: demographics, uh, whether that be, you know, Caucasian, African-American, Latino, whether it be rich, middle class, or you know poor whether it be people who are homeless or people who live in mansions whether it's people who are employed as executives or people who are unemployed the, the same idea works and their needs are actually fairly similar across the whole uh spectrum of people out there there might be some who don't need some of the other services that could be provided but in terms of the medication part of it, in terms of the counseling part of it, that's
1: all the same, regardless of what their background might be. Yeah, it's very interesting, Michael. What's, what's the success look like? If, if, if a family has someone in their family that's having a problem with substance abuse and they convince that person to go to the substance abuse center or the community versus the person themselves that say to themselves, you know, I need to go do this on my own accord. I don't want anybody telling me or my family forcing me. Where does the success lie? Does the person who's addicted need to realize themselves that they need the help or, or oh, can they? I mean, absolutely. I mean,
0: this is, this is not one of those things that... So we practice what's called a harm reduction model. So what does that mean? It means that just because somebody might come in they might come in two, three, four weeks, be compliant with everything we asked them to do and everything else. But then all of a sudden they hit a rough patch and they wind up, you know, using drugs or alcohol again. We don't close the door and say, oh, by the way, you know, you didn't do what we told you. You can't come back. Doors are always open because inevitably it's like anything. If you tell somebody, it's like your children. You tell your child not to do something or they must do something, regardless what it is, they're not going to or they will do it opposite of whatever you say. So that's exactly how it is. So until the person who really needs the help is ready to ask for the help themselves, nothing that we can, can do is going to make a difference. But the point of the matter is that we make sure that we communicate to them that we're not shutting the door on them. If they're not ready today, that's fine. Come back tomorrow. We have clients. I can remember them coming in the first month that we ever opened an office and never seeing them again for three, four, or five years. And all of a sudden, them walking in and saying, by the way, now I'm ready. Or I have other people who come in, they're like on a six month cycle come in, spend a month with us, leave, come back six months later, do it again, do it again. And honestly, We'll just say that's fine. Let's try it all over again. We'll start from the beginning, see what happens. I think the point of the matter is that if you dictate something, that's not likely to be successful. And we don't want to dictate to people how they live their lives. Listen, would I prefer that nobody was, you know, partaking of too many drugs or too much alcohol? Of course. I mean, would I like to everybody to stay alive and be healthy? Sure. But I'm not... I'm not some, you know, saint who hasn't done exactly what they're doing and hasn't partaken too much and done too many things that were wrong until I finally came to some conclusion that that wasn't the path I want to go. All right. You know, yeah, figured it out. Didn't didn't, didn't take me a day. Didn't take me a year. Didn't take me 10 years. It took me, you know, 20 years. But eventually I figured it out. And and honestly, the, the point of the matter is, When you ask about success, like that's a dangerous question to ask because, well, I could say to you, X percentage are successful. I guess the question would be, what's your definition of success? You know, are they happy? Are they trying not to use? Are they trying, are they employed? You know, do they have a stable uh, family situation? I mean, those are all criteria for being successful, but the truth of the matter is that recovery is not one of those one-stop shopping type of things. This is one of those lifetime paths. I think, you know, AA model, which is a fine model for some people, I think the one thing that they do do that's kind of interesting is when somebody stands up in an AA mo- meeting, it's not that they're actually recovered, it's that I've managed to be Abstinent from using alcohol for X number of years or months or whatever it is. And that's how they identify themselves. And they realize that it's a lifetime, that this is something that's going to be that with them forever. I think just tangentially, the other important part of, of this is there's really two sides of what we do. One is medication, which is fine. People can take their medication and, and they might be successful in their recovery. But The truth of the matter is that the medication is not actually the part that gets them to recovery. It's the counseling and the working out their issues that actually make them revert back to using drugs and alcohol. And that's the part, if you had a stable life today and I don't know, you go home tonight, Andy, and your partner says to you, guess what? We're getting a divorce or whatever, or you just, you know, you lost all your money or or whatever tragedy happened in your life, you know, your natural response is going to be to, you know, numb the pain of whatever's bothering you and go back to what you know is going to, you know, blur your mind. So you're not going to think about it too much.
1: Yeah. It's so interesting. And of course, you mentioned, you know, how it all works and the progress and the process and, and the way people weave in and out and, you know, you have a number of different centers throughout the area. I mean, and you're burgeoning. I mean, you're, you're, you continue to grow and you're opening new centers. What is it, what's it feel like? I mean, do, for the people that haven't, you know, been to a center, I mean, do people stay, do you, do you have dormitories or rooms? How does it work for the people that need to come in or they don't even
0: come no, in and so- stay in
1: dormitories or rooms at all? Nope. There's uh,
0: we're first of all we're outpatients. So think of your psychiatrist. So I like to consider this like a, a psychiatrist's office on steroids. So as opposed to one person who might give you some meds and talk to you for a little while, you know, we have multiple people in the office to help you. So there would be a doctor or nurse practitioner who would sit with you and go over the medication and those kind of issues. Then there would be you know, a social worker who would deal with how it's going in your family and everything else. And then if you need additional services, either we would try to provide services for you in the office or we, we refer you out depending on what the extent of your needs are for your additional services might be. And that's, that's usually things like housing and employment and things like that, which are, are bigger issues, that, but they do affect the path to recovery but there's only so much one can do in a doctor's office.
1: Yeah. So interesting, Michael. And of course, there's a lot lot of stigma for families and for the community attached to the words drug addiction in our world. And, you know, a lot of people speak about action and taking action and, and trying to have a unified voice to help people that are having these, these big challenges. So, besides the medical approach that you do at Recovery Connection, there's a mental approach as well. What's what's more difficult? Mentally changing the thought process of someone who has an addiction or physically changing the physical aspect of their body through the changes using medication? Well, I think the physical part will come
0: naturally from itself if the mental part is addressed. And actually, when you're Talking about stigma, I think there's two parts to that. There's really the clients who come in who have been treated, you know, they've been treated poorly because when most people think of somebody who has, and I'm using this phrase incorrectly, but only because it's easily recognizable, which is that when they call somebody a drug addict, or a drunk, Um, the thought that goes to most people who don't suffer from those problems is, oh, this must be a homeless individual who's living on the streets, who probably smells and urinates in somebody's backyard, and all the worst aspects of the human behavior is what goes through their mind. And the truth of the matter is that that's not... That's usually not the case, actually. In fact, very few people are truly homeless. I mean, their definition of homeless might be, okay, I don't have my own apartment that I rent. I actually live, you know, on my friend's couch or something like that. But, you know, they're living in somewhat of a condition. There's That's a very small portion of the people out there. And I think the biggest stigma that I fight on a daily basis is not The fighting inside the office, it's the fighting outside of the office. So, some of our background would be that we've had to fight with different towns and different political entities to be able to exert our rights, to be able to offer our services, and to have the people that we service be recognized as having the same rights as everybody else in a town. And I find that's the stigma that's worse because inevitably they do judge a book by its cover and they always say, yeah, we think what you're doing is great, but not in our backyard. Why can't you do it over there? And then over there it says, why can't you do it back over there? So, you know, it's this
1: uh, nobody wants to actually address the issues that need to be addressed, is the truth. Well, you're doing a great job of it, Michael. And of course, it's understandable how you've set up your offices in smaller spaces to give a a much more home-like feeling, which really allows the staff and your clients to feel comfortable. And I would imagine that's a big part of their success. And one thing that caught our attention, we love it where you say, you know, you accept everyone who raises their hand. I mean, if somebody needs help, you accept them. How, how does that work? Because it looks like you probably accept all insurances to come in and get the get the help that you need. We do. So we're strictly an insurance model. Uh, we get
0: no government support in terms of grants or things like that, which some agencies run by. At least, thankfully, in this area of New England, the Northeast region, most of the states here have a wide range of coverage for all the people who live in the States. So it's not really much of an issue, which is nice. And then if somebody comes in and says, Hey, I have no idea how to get insurance. We'll walk them through it. We'll pick up the phone for them and we'll try to get them on board. So they do have coverage because inevitably we're dealing with one aspect of their life, but medically, there's so many other parts of their life that they probably haven't addressed either in terms of their overall health that they need to address. And having insurance is going to make a difference that they can get the support
1: that they need. Yeah, it makes sense, Michael. Of course, one thing that really resonates for me is your team. I mean, you've got medical doctors and nurse practitioners, you know, psychiatrists, licensed social workers, counselors, laboratory techs. I mean, administrative staff, you have a great staff. So let's talk about it. When we think about the team at recovery, what's this thing you're looking for? Are you looking for experience or are you looking for the spirit to help the, the the client? What's the things that really make up the staff when you think about hiring? Client care. I can teach or I can have
0: anybody trained to prescribe the medication, could give somebody a script in terms of helping them to do some counseling. That's all learnable actions. But our behaviors to each other, that doesn't really fly. And quite honestly, if people are not passionate about what we do, I'm not interested in them. I don't care if they volunteered for us, but if they're not going to actually put the client first ahead of everything else that they do for the company, that's not a fit for me. That's that's an automatic... Thank you. Have a good day. We'll move on and find somebody else because this is not the right place for you. And I quite honestly, it's the first question that we ask anybody that we're interviewing, which is why are you applying for this job and why do you want to work for this company? And if you can't if you can't communicate to me in a way that I feel comfortable that you're actually here because you have a passion for what we do, It's not going to be a fit no matter you've got 20 years experience and you're Harry Houdini on the computer and whatever else you can manage to do. That's not going to work for me.
1: Yeah, helping the the client. And
0: and I was going to say, as far as the team goes, I tell the team the same thing all the time, which is they need to work together, you know, because their number one focus should be on the client, you know, work together for the client. You made a boo-boo and you sent the wrong script to the wrong pharmacy. I don't care. That's fine. But then at that point, pick up the phone, call the client and say, hey, I'm going to make this right. Don't worry. We're here 24-7. We're going to bend over backwards to make sure you're taken care of. It's that kind of the little stuff that you communicate to a person that makes them feel comfortable. And that's really... I. I Don't think that what we do is any different than almost any other industry should be doing, which is if client care is not your number one priority, you're probably not going to wind up to be very successful in business.
1: Yeah, it makes all the sense in the world for the entrepreneurs watching the show, Rewind, what Michael just said. It doesn't matter what space you're in or what vertical you focus in, take care of those customers. And of course, one way in which you do that is on, The website, drughelp.com. I mean, first of all, what a great domain. And of course, you really put so much information up on the website. You have publications and podcasts and videos. Really, you keep posting continuously. So let me ask you this, Michael, where did that come from? I mean, you have this passion not only to help people, but it seems to teach as well and provide information for people to be able to read, for their families to be able to read, to understand? Where did this idea come from, from your perspective about educating the public about what's happening with, you know, this situation with, with the addiction? Well, I think there's a lack of information out there. And I'm not,
0: you know, it's an interesting question. Is there really a lack of information or there's a lack of people willing to listen to the information is is probably the the bigger issue, which is, People just assume we can do that little odd couple, you know, uh, skit about what the word assumption means and to assume. But the reality is that most people, when they hear about drug addiction, they think about a typical, forgive me for saying, but a, a methadone clinic that usually has lines outside the door that people are, you know, smoking and urinating and, and, making a mess of their, of their area. It's, it's honestly, it's not true. It it might've been true once upon a time and people don't realize that there's other alternatives out there besides methadone. There's what we practice, we prescribe what's called buprenorphine or Suboxone is the brand name is called, but nowadays it's actually, you know, it's expanded now. Whereas before it used to be either a tablet or a film, now it's expanded to getting a shot that you don't have to even come, you know, and get your medication except once a month. You come in, you get a shot, you walk out the door and you have enough medication, you don't have to take a pill every day. It's a nice experience. So things uh, have been changing, but if you're not educating, you're just going to wind up, you know, falling back into the old you know, ideations of people about what substance use and alcohol use is all about.
1: Yeah, it's very interesting. What would you say to someone watching the show that maybe has a family member or a son or a daughter or, you know, a a nephew or a niece that's caught up in, in some type of drug addiction, alcohol addiction, and they're very concerned, you know, what types of words of Positive advice, perhaps, could you give to those people watching the show that see somebody in their own family that are really being, you know, devastated by the effects of this this uh, this plague that we have in the world today? I think what
0: I would say to them, and I'm not necessarily have the magic answer because we're all different people, and what might work for me might not work for you, type of thing. But I think I would suggest just trying to nudge them to take a small step, just a small step, whatever that is. Maybe that's just to go and see a counselor and talk to somebody. Maybe it's to, you know, go to an NA meeting just to see that there's other people out there. Perhaps it's to give us a call and just sit down and say, okay, here's what we do. Is that something that you would feel comfortable for? I mean, you got to take the you know, baby steps before you can take the giant leaps. To to say to somebody, oh, by the way, you need to go to a 30-day inpatient rehab, that's not going to work for quite a few people because it's just a little bit too much for them too quickly. And you need to just keep educating them about what their options are and say, listen, if you're ready, I'm willing to take you there. I'm willing to sit with you while you go and you talk to a doctor or a counselor, whatever it might be, just to, to nudge them along, but just realize that it's going to be on their time time frame and not on yours. So, while you want to do it today, they might not be ready today, and you just have to be patient with them. Don't Cutting them off is not going to solve anything. So you know, breaking relationships because of your frustration, which is a common thing that we all do, not does not usually, you know, resolve itself in them actually turning around and going in the way that you're suggesting. Rather, it usually turns
1: them around to keep going further away from where you want them to go. Wow, that's fascinating. Of course, more great advice from Michael. Michael, you know, you've been expanding. I mean, here you are, you know, by 2000, the end of this year, you know, the entire new England and mid Atlantic region will be covered by recovery connection. Let's talk about where it goes from here. I mean, do you have a nationwide footprint that you're ultimately going to go to, to bring this recovery opportunity, the way in which you provide it and present it throughout the United States? Oh, that's a, that's a, billion-dollar question
0: there. So, sure, like every business person, my ego says, yes, of course, we're going to go nationwide. But the reality is, now we'll probably go somewhat nationwide. How's that? So, partially nationwide, which would probably be sort of like one side of the Mississippi, but not the other side. It's just in terms of a business model, that would be awfully big to try to keep in control of without investing ungodly amounts of money and in infrastructure to, to make that happen. And quite honestly, I would rather keep it simple and just keep opening our locations as much as possible. You know, there are competitors out there who are trying that model, but they're not trying it in in a bricks and mortar type of way. They're trying it in a telehealth way. And I don't buy into the telehealth model for this particular affliction. So I understand it if people are suffering from anxiety and depression and need somebody to talk to and they can just pick up a Zoom link like we're doing right now and you and i can talk and i feel better about myself that's fine but for what we're really dealing with it you really need the, the more personal touch and our interactions on zoom and skype and everything else are not the same as when we're actually sitting in a room together you know you read my body language i read your body language right now underneath the table my legs could be shaking like you know like crazy because I'm actually in withdrawal and you wouldn't have any clue that that's what I was suffering from and that's the difficulty of that that business model in my mind now maybe I'll change my mind one day when they figure out the technology a little bit better and we wind up in the metaverse or something but I haven't figured out that particular model yet. So
1: yeah, it's really a a good entrepreneurial story. You have your feet firmly planted on the ground. And of course, you also have some books, one of them that caught our attention that you offer the ebook on your website, The Silent Pandemic. One thing about the book that caught our attention, of course, was you say that your business recovery connection is folks who've been there before. And I would imagine that that's a Interesting thing for your clients to know because I would imagine they want they would much more want to listen to someone who's been, experienced it already, who's been there before and have been there and done that versus somebody who hasn't. Is that the way it works? I think it works that way. I'll, I'll share a quick story, which is when my daughter was going off
0: to college, I still remember bringing her one day to the college and say, you know, by the way, we should just have a conversation about what happens in college in terms of drugs and alcohol. And of course she said, like every teenager would say, Oh, I know it all. I said, really? Well, let me just share dad's few stories with you. And She never wound up to be a drinker or a user of drugs because of it, so I don't know if it scared the heck out of her, but honestly, I didn't tell her not to do it. I just said, this was my experience, and if I had to do it all over again, I would have preferred not to. But if you want to try it, that's fine. Just know that if you ever get into trouble and you need help, pick up the phone and I'll talk to you about it. So I do think that when a client's sitting across from you and they know that you actually understand where they where they are and you've been there, there's a there's obviously a a, a greater amount of trust in whatever you might say as a versus to somebody who has no idea and has never smoked you know a joint in their life. I mean, it's just a client can tell that instantaneously.
1: Wow. It's a great way. It's a great process. It's a great business. You're a great entrepreneur. You've taken your background and experience and have turned it on its heels, if you will, and and pivoted in a way that's changing the lives for people for the better and what you're doing at Recovery Connection with the expansion and and everything else with regard to the proven methodologies, the therapeutic modalities that you use, and of course, the psychological approach of wanting to help your clients and put them at the forefront of everything that your staff does with the remarkable staff that you hired is really great, Michael. So I wanted to thank you so much for coming on the dot-com magazine Entrepreneur Spotlight series today. Thank you very much, Andy. I appreciate it. I enjoyed it.